as for those of you who may have not heard earlier, um, uh, Rome is, I mean, uh, Wayne is fine. He had asked for this day off, and so we reached out to Rome, and he uh, graciously agreed to uh, uh, join us and teach us our lesson today. So, Rome, thank you. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's uh, great to see you all. It's uh, different conditions than we're usually in. I need to welcome you into my garage. I uh, originally bought my house uh, as a single guy. Uh, a couple of years later, got married, and my wife uh, moved in, Vanessa. And then along the way, we had two daughters and three women into your house. Then uh, you get pushed out to the garage. So I have a little office in the garage that I often study in. It's always quiet. And uh, so I figured that was the easiest place to work from this morning. So uh, glad that we can meet in this way. It is a blessing, as uh, Don prayed uh, uh, just a moment ago, that we can uh, meet like this and also I think it goes without saying that uh, screens don't replace people, and uh, it's hard not to be with people and be uh, together. As you can see, we were certainly made for uh, uh, made for fellowship and made to interact, and so uh, we continue to pray for uh, the Lord's leading and guiding as uh, we figure out how we can get back together again. So I hope you all are well. It's uh, nice that I can see some of you on the screen, and uh, as we can look towards God's Word, I hope you have a a Bible handy with you. I, uh, I couldn't help but think that uh, these are dark days that we are living in. There's so much going on, obviously, all the effects of uh, COVID-19 and uh, those who are have the virus and are struggling with that, those who have lost loved ones to the virus and so on. Uh, but that's not the only thing going on in this country. There's a lot of unrest, as you're all uh, well aware. Uh, there are protests going on and rioting and looting and uh, uh, lots of uh, animosity uh, now with the uh, uh, latest death uh, on the Supreme Court. Uh, there will be probably another major battle coming in our, in our, uh, uh, in our country uh, over who gets to, to replace that seat and when that will be done and, and all the details there. And uh, these are dark, dark days. And so as I gave some thought to uh, the dark days that we live in, I thought, you know, there are other times in history when uh, there were dark days. There are times in biblical history, Old Testament and New Testament, where things were looking bleak. Uh, there were times through church history that things were looking bleak. And so I simply asked the question, how do we get out of that? How, how did people who lived in dark days in previous times get out of their situations. What, 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 is the, what is the remedy for uh, the darkness of our culture? And so this morning, uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to visit three times, one in the Old Testament, uh, one in the New Testament, and one in church history, that the days were dark and that difficulty was going on, and see how, what happened. How do we get out of the darkness that we're living in? And uh, hopefully that'll be um, helpful and um, um, uh, uh, encouraging as we look to God's Word, because I think what we can see is the answer is always the same. Uh, when times are dark and when life is difficult, uh, the Bible points us towards truth, and I think uh, hopefully as we look at that this morning, that'll be uh, helpful in our time together. So I want to begin in the book of Isaiah. And so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, make your way to Isaiah. We'll jump around a little bit, but we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 5. So uh, as I'm sort of introducing Isaiah, if you can make your way to Isaiah chapter 
uh, 5 will be there in just a moment. Isaiah was uh, a prophet, and if you just generally understand how prophets worked in the Old Testament, a prophet is someone who was raised up by God to deliver God's message. When we think of prophet, we often think of foretelling the future, and certainly that was part of a prophet's message. But simply, uh, uh, simply put, a prophet spoke for God. And so God raised up Isaiah as he raised up many other prophets in these days, and the days were very, very dark. In the days of Isaiah were some of the worst days in, in the history of uh, Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, primarily, God's people had, uh, first of all, they had divided. This was the time of the divided kingdom. You had Israel in the north and Judah in the south. God had never desired that his kingdom, uh, that his uh, people would divide into two kingdoms or into two countries, essentially. Uh, but that had happened. And uh, not only were they divided, but uh, they were primarily not worshiping God, not following God, and uh, worshiping and following other gods and acting in evil ways. And so Isaiah was to speak into this time frame. And the reason why we often think about it as some of the worst is it's Isaiah has a long ministry of prophecy, if you will, a long ministry of speaking for the Lord. And towards the end of his ministry, um, Manasseh will, will become king and uh, will be the, one of the uh, a king in Israel's history who will institute child sacrifice in worshiping Molech, which is kind of the lowest point that Israel gets to in, in the Old Testament. And so they're very, very dark days. And we see Isaiah describe that. I'll let Isaiah kind of uh, uh, set the scene for you. Just a few verses. Isaiah chapter 5, picking it up in verse 20. Isaiah chapter 5 in verse 20. Again, Isaiah speaking for God, speaking to a, a people who are, are broken and worshiping other gods and following other gods. And Isaiah writes uh, the words of the Lord, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks, who acquit the guilty for a bribe, but, de but deny justice to the innocent. We could move on, but I think you can see that these are dark days. Uh, Isaiah is speaking into a time when people are calling evil good and good evil. And, and so we, we can see that people who are calling the darkness light and the light darkness. You can, you can see the words are clear that this woe is, is pay attention, that this is going to be addressed. And so it, it isn't that hard to see a parallel between the days of Isaiah and the days of today when we call evil good and we call good evil. We, we, we call the darkness light, or some do, and, and, and some call the light darkness and, and, and so on, that, that everything is turned on its head. And so Isaiah is speaking into this time frame. And, and, and you see some of the imagery here, and it's really this imagery that I want to pick up and I want to show sort of as a, as a theme through Scripture, this idea of darkness and, and light. And so we see that developed, and Isaiah will continue to mention that in probably a more famous passage in Isaiah chapter 9. So just uh, flip a few pages, Isaiah chapter 9, 
probably a prophetic passage that you're familiar with, but probably for a different reason than, than what we're going to do uh, here this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, picking it up in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Isaiah is speaking here of really a future event. As a matter of fact, not only is it future, but Isaiah is speaking from the point of not only this event in the future, but after this event in the future, looking back at it, that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you. Uh, as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice with dividing the plunder. For as the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, uh, the bar across their shoulders and the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be disdained for burning with fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. For to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so Isaiah addresses the darkness of his time, or the Lord calls Isaiah to address the darkness of his time by saying those famous words in Isaiah 2, which we often read at Christmas time, and then on to uh, verse uh, 6, uh, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and then on to verse 6, for unto us a child is born. And of course, we often visit this prophetic passage at Christmas time because it, 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 it prophesies the coming of Christ and, and his birth, and, and rightfully so. But it's just interesting that when we live in dark times, the Bible uses this imagery of darkness and light to help us understand what will change it. What changes the darkness of our day or what changes the darkness of Isaiah's day? It's never the dark will some, someday fix itself or suddenly the dark will figure it out and won't be quite so dark. It, it's always the penetration of the light. And, and, and so as it turns out, a careful study of scripture from the very beginning in Genesis to the very end in Revelation, the Bible is filled with this imagery of darkness and light and darkness and light. And there's lots and lots of passages and lots of references uh, originally, I was going to try and handle all of them, but apparently you won't stay on our Zoom call past 10.30. So um, it, we are just going to briefly look at some key passages of the imagery of darkness and light and to see what God is presenting, because clearly Isaiah is trying to break through the darkness of his own day with this prophetic message of the light. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And ultimately, that light is going to be Jesus. It's going to be God breaking through. I, I, I want to jump away from Isaiah for a moment. You don't need to turn here if, if you don't want. We'll be here just briefly to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you want, just make a note of it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. 
because the Apostle Paul is going to pick up on this idea looking back, and we're going to actually go to 2 Corinthians 4, 6 later in just a few minutes, but I want to do it right now uh, to help us tie together what's going on. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul writes, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That is, the Apostle Paul uh, used this exact same imagery of lightness and darkness uh, to, to, to make the same type of statement as to how do we get out of dark times? How do we deal with the, the, the evilness in our world? And again, Paul writes, let, uh, for, uh, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. If I can just sort of summarize what we're going to begin to looking, uh, look at here, what we're going to see is the answer to darkness is the penetration of the light. And the light is going to be the word of God, that is the Bible, that tells us of the sun. And so in some cases, the light will be reflecting directly to the word, in some cases, the light will be called the sun, but in either case, it's the same thing, the word exalting Christ. In other words, what does it, change to take, to, what does it take to change a dark America? It, it takes God's word elevating God's son. It, it, it takes Christ to change the darkness. And, and this is a theme that, that we see in Isaiah. We, we see it really from the very beginning, and the Apostle Paul was getting at it. He said, you know, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, Paul is probably referring to the very creation in Genesis 1. You'll remember with, with me Genesis 1, verse 3 and 4, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. The imagery of light and darkness, and of course, God literally created the light, but, but it also is going to take on some figurative meanings. And so Paul is referring to God literally created light. He literally made light shine out of darkness. And, and then he goes on to say, and that has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory uh, of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We're going to explore that just a little bit more, but I I push that out there so we can begin to see that there's this common theme that we want to understand about darkness and light. It's not too profound to look at the darkness side of things. I, I think we see things sort of spinning out of control in our culture. And we see news where things are going on that used to not go on and, and where there is instability where there used to be stability. And so these, these words of light and darkness are used throughout Scripture, and it's important we understand how they're being used. And really, light is, is literal in Scripture, literal, literally light as we would understand it, like light from the sun or light from, the, uh, uh, from a light bulb. But, but, but there's also a figurative use. that it, it tends to be used in sort of a multi-layered approach. That is, uh, light is often representative of truth. It's kind of an intellectual thing. Someone is enlightened, they know the truth. They understand the truth. Let me give you an example. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, 105. 
their light or the lamp is kind of this intellectual idea. It shows me the truth. It shows me the way. Another way light is used is sort of a moral aspect. And I should add, darkness is used the same way. Um, whereas light represents truth, darkness is often portrayed as ignorance or falsehood, that which is not true. And so uh, uh, sort of that intellectual idea of light is one of the aspects, and the other is this moral aspect that light represents holiness or darkness represents evil. And so we see that, for example, in uh, Romans 13. Allow me just to read that for you. Romans 13, 12 to 14. The night is nearly over, the Apostle Paul writes. The day is almost here. Again, notice the imagery, night and day. We, we were doing darkness and light. Here it's night and day. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now watch how the Apostle Paul will portray darkness and light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension or jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And so here the Apostle Paul is using this imagery of darkness and, 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 and light or night and day to, to show the idea of do what is right and good, don't do what is evil. And so light and darkness is used in a, uh, uh, a literal sense and in sort of the, the sense of, of light being truth, darkness being falsehood, or lightness being holiness, and darkness being evil. And so uh, light and darkness is, is prevalent. It's prevalent in Isaiah's message. And so I want to return to Isaiah and still sort of establish this idea because uh, it is a little shocking. Uh, the, the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, the people in walking in darkness have seen a great light. The light is presented here as the answer to darkness. And, and so the answer comes in God's word. And we're going to see that in a few different illustrations that uh, we'll work our way through. Isaiah 42. Make your way to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. He will use multiple imageries of light and darkness throughout his prophecy. And so I just want to focus a little again in light of the wickedness of Isaiah's time. It's interesting how God's message comes forth. Isaiah 42, beginning in verse 6. Isaiah 42, verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. So God is speaking through Isaiah. Isaiah is speaking to these people who, who are lost in wickedness, who are living in darkness. And, and notice what the Lord has said, I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles. Well, what would it be to be a light to the Gentiles? Because the, the situation in Isaiah's day uh, with the 
being a light to the Gentiles is probably not that different from the situation today uh, in America. What would it take to reach these people? What does it mean to be the light? And, and of course, what God is getting at through the words of Isaiah here, or, or God's words spoken through Isaiah, uh, open the eyes the, uh, of the blind and free the captives from prison, release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. The calling is to is to really live out the gospel. That is, we're going to see from the book of Isaiah that there is a component that we carry as believers in being the light. The, the light is ultimately Christ, but that light is reflected in us or shown in us. And you can probably think of some of the passages that Jesus talked about. Uh, uh, do not uh, um, cover up your light, but uh, set your light or be a light on the hill. The idea of making it evident of how to pierce the darkness. The darkness is pierced with light. Jump down Isaiah 42 verse 16. Verse 16, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. The key to combating darkness in any culture at any time is light that comes from the outside. It is the initiation of God, and that's what God is portraying here. I will lead the blind by the ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into the light before them. It is a work of God that is going to change. Part of the reason I was thinking about this is just simply thinking through what is the where do we go as a culture? Where do we go as a country? Where do we go as a, as a church, as a people of God to impact our culture in, in, in the things that are going on? What is it that we are supposed to do? And, and we see this idea of light and darkness brings forth, uh, if you will, the, the solution. The, the solution comes in the work of God through his word, and it's his word that goes out, and it changes the culture. His word goes out, which, which of course, his word points us to his son, and it redeems the culture. Ultimately, it saves the culture. It, it's that saving word that changes us from darkness to light. There's more. Isaiah 49, just a few chapters down, Isaiah 49, beginning in verse Five. Isaiah 49, beginning in verse 5, And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, to gather Israel to myself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord my God. Uh, I, I, I'm, excuse me. I am honored in the eyes of the Lord my God has been my strength. He says, uh, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those from Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. And so tied together with changing the darkness to the light or being a light in the darkness is this idea of salvation. 
that's what we need. That's what our nation needs. That's what people who are lost in the evilness of our times need. That salvation might meet right might reach the ends of the earth. So if we take a step back and think about this for a little bit, uh, in the Old Testament, we have lots of dark days, lots of dark times. And again, I've chosen Isaiah uh, to reflect uh, and, and, and think about the darkness of that time. And so God raises up a message, and the message is the people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. Well, as it turns out, in the days of Isaiah, the people don't repent. Isaiah prophesies that one day you, you, you're going to lose your land. You're going to lose your, your, your nation. Uh, you're ultimately going to go into exile. Well, the kings don't listen and the people don't listen, and they do. They end up going into exile. If you remember, the north uh, gets assimilated into Assyria, and, and the south, uh, the, the Judah, gets exiled into Babylon, and they're gone from their land for 70 years. And so Isaiah sends this warning and promises the light and people don't respond. But, but God still keeps his promise. And as Paul writes in Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, God sends his son. And I'd like to submit to you that the New Testament context, that first century where Jesus lived, was also a very, very dark time. Those were dark days that they lived uh, when Jesus comes and, and, and that is ultimately what Isaiah was talking about. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. It's in the midst of darkness. And we need to think about that for a little bit. God's people living in the land God had promised under Roman rule. If you remember in the days of Jesus, at the birth of Jesus, and throughout the life of Jesus, it's the Romans who are in control uh, of the land. And that's hard for us to think. We, we, we would really have no experience thinking, at least in America, of someone else controlling us in our land. That is that you could live in your home, but you don't have an American government. You have a foreign government that dictates uh, the rules of the land and what you are and are not allowed to do and what you can and, and, and cannot do. And so uh, it, it's, it's interesting with, with the enemy of Rome present, the, the, the Jews divide into groups. It's a very divisive time when Jesus comes. And so some of these groups uh, are known in the New Testament, groups like the Pharisees. Their answer to solving things is to keep the letter of the law. And, and so th they're sort of legal experts, and, and they make everything about the, the law. And, and then you have the Sadducees, and the Sadducees are more of, uh, of, of rich Jews who realize it's best for them to work with Rome. And so they've become sort of rulers of the Jews on Rome's behalf, and, and so often they're disliked um, because they're, they're seen in, in, the, in, the, in the eyes of, uh, or, or to work for in the hands of Rome, even against their own, uh, their own people. Uh, another group you have, and Jesus even has a disciple who's a zealot, and a zealot is so sick and tired of the oppression of the Romans being in their country, they would, if, if, if it existed in those days, get their guns and shoot them all dead. They are the ones who want to lead a violent rebellion, and, and Israel has lots of zealots in them. Uh, in it. And so it's a very divisive time. You have the Romans present, and then you have the Jews fractured uh, amongst 
these different groups and Pharisees and Sadducees and Zealots, and there's the Seans, and, and, and there's actually several groups. There's, there's quite a few to go through, but it's a divided time. And again, when we think about darkness, we, we look at today and we see huge division in this country. Now, we probably see it more as, you know, left and right or liberal and conservative, those kinds of things. Um, but, but in Jesus' day was a day of darkness, and, and it, was, it was much more splintered and fractured, so many different groups, and everyone wishing they could get rid of Rome and just having no possibility of doing that. That, that is, they were nowhere near powerful enough to get rid of the Roman army, which was prevalent you know, throughout Europe and throughout the Middle East and all the way into Egypt and so on, it was so much bigger than who they were. And so can you, if you can make your way from Isaiah to the book of John, Isaiah to the book of John, because we're going to see again this imagery of darkness and light to introduce Jesus coming into the world. As a matter of fact, John is full of the imagery of darkness and light. <clears throat> And uh, we could easily spend many, many studies just looking at darkness and light in the book of John. Uh, John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. Uh, I'm actually just going to begin right at the beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. So the word is a him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Notice immediately we're introducing Jesus. He's being introduced as the word, and what does the word produce? The word produces life. The word is light. He is the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. As I've said, there's this imagery, imagery running through the entire Bible of darkness and light. Darkness can represent evil. Light can represent holiness. Darkness can re represent ignorance, not understanding. Light can represent truth. And of course, in Christ, you have all these things. You have perfect holiness. You have perfect truth. You have life itself. That, that is that Christ literally uh, was uh, in the work of God the Father in breathing life into Adam uh, in, in, in the creation. And that's why uh, John starts with, he was with him uh, in the beginning through all things, that all things were created by means of, of Jesus, who is presented here as the word or the light. Let's keep going. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 6. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. Uh, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that he might believe, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world uh, was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, 
but of the will, uh, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And, and John will go on and he'll use the idea of lightness, uh, light and dark uh, throughout his entire gospel writing uh, to show what Jesus was and how it penetrates the darkness. And, and so we, we often don't think about the darkness of Jesus' day or the darkness uh, that people were living in when Jesus came, but he came uh, to bring light into a very troubled world. One of the things that I found with just uh, doing some preparation and study and, and looking at these themes was realizing that there's been many days that have been very dark. Uh, Today uh, might look rather bleak, and we have an election coming and probably a lot more fighting going on, and who knows what will all go on there and and what will happen. And and yet, none of those things, in other words, the, the right election results or some political thing won't solve our problems. Our, our problem in darkness isn't solved by a political solution. It, it's not a governmental situation. It's not an issue of economics. And all those things are important, and, and, and we want the right things uh, there, and we want government to be just, because the Bible calls us to, to uh, or calls governments uh, to be just and to be right, and so we want those things. But ultimately, the solution to the darkness is the incredible power of God's Word to display God's Son. The way to defeat darkness is the incredible power of God's Word, that is, the light, to penetrate the darkness and to illuminate the Son of God, who is the Savior of the world. And so John paints him in this this. Uh, incredibly powerful presentation of Jesus, who has always been, he's been the Word, he's been with God, he is God from the very beginning. It's through Jesus that the whole world was created, and that that is light. If I could say it a different way, I would simply say the answer is the gospel. The, the, the thing that changes the culture is the gospel. And, and, and it's interesting because in Isaiah's day, they didn't respond to the prophetic message of Isaiah and calling the people to repent and turn back to God and turn from their wicked ways and stop worshiping foreign gods and and living in evil and and start living what is right. They didn't do that, and things got worse for them. Uh, and, And then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus comes, and it's a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And and. And so Jesus then begins to shine light on, on the culture in which, he was, in which he was brought into, that first century culture. And things do change. Not, not for everyone, but many lives are transformed through the ministry of Jesus, primarily the poor, the down and outers. Probably not too many Sadducees, although some. Not too many Pharisees, although some, one would be the most famous, the Apostle Paul was, of course, a, a Pharisee. Um, Nicodemus comes to mind as well. Uh, probably not too many zealots, but some. But those who hurt and suffered in the culture, they were met by Jesus and saw light brought into the world. And so I return to these words from the Apostle Paul. For God who said, I'm reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 again. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, 
made his light shine in our heart to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. There is light changes our focus and changes what we're looking at. It's easy today, especially with social media and so on, that we can dwell on the darkness of our culture. We can find out, well, what happened last night and what's going on over there and what about this area over here and, 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 and that over there. And, and yet light changes the focus of what we look at. Notice again Paul's words. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. That, that, that is, there's a change that comes inside. The light is shining in our heart and gives us the knowledge of God's glory. There's a refocus from the darkness of the culture to the knowledge of God's glory, and it's manifested or displayed in Christ. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, is showing that this is the light. This is what transforms darkness. I was thinking through church history of uh, another time. We, we have the darkness of the days of Isaiah. We have the darkness of the days when Jesus came into the world. Um, we, we also have the darkness of the days that, that came before the Reformation. If you're familiar with uh, the life of Martin Luther, um, one of the profound things that you can learn about Martin Luther's early life before he started reading the light, that is reading God's word, that came much later in his life. But before doing that, Martin Luther was on course, was very smart and on course to become a lawyer and was terrified of lightning, of being struck by lightning. He was terrified of thunderstorms. And you probably know the story. It's quite a common uh, a, a well-known story that one time Martin Luther was walking home in the rain, the storm came, and he was fearful and lightning and thunder was going on, and he was terrified and, and cried out to, to the patron saint uh, that, that he was crying out to that uh, if his life would be spared, he would become a monk. And, and, and so sometimes we, we miss how dark the days were. The reason why Martin Luther was so fearful was because the way that, uh, I've got to say this the right way, uh, the way that Christianity had been presented in those days was always that you never could know whether you were saved. There was no assurance of salvation. Salvation was something you were always working on and always hopeful that you were there, always hopeful that you had done enough. And so I, I say that because I'm not saying that's the Christian message, but that's what was being presented as the Christian message. And so everybody was fearful because death always meant unknownness and always meant maybe I hadn't done enough. Maybe I had too much sin. Maybe I hadn't done enough Hail Marys or enough confessions or enough and all the different things that, that were of that time. And so Martin Luther was born and raised in a terrifying state. If we follow the story, he, he keeps his promise that he leaves law school and per, excuse me, pursues being a monk. And, and then as a monk, he's trying to confess enough and do enough. And, 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 and there's times when he beats himself because of his own sin. And he's longing to find confidence, assurance 
salvation. And, and it's really unknown until he starts to read the Bible. And, and the, the breakthrough verse from Martin Luther, the thing that broke through from the darkness to the light, Romans 1.17, he comes across the passage that the righteous live by faith. The righteous live by faith. And he began to study, his books of study were primarily Romans, Galatians, and the Psalms. Romans, Galatians, and the Psalms. And what he came to find was that he could know that he was saved. He could have confidence that he was saved because the Bible showed, or God's Word showed, that it was Christ who did the work and that the work was completed, and if he believed in it by faith, the righteous will live by faith, that if he by faith believed it, he could know. And do you know the first thing that Martin Luther wrote about, once he had this gospel understanding, this Bible understanding of assurance of salvation, that he could know that Christ has saved him, not because of anything he did in a monastery, but because of the work of Christ that, that God's word illuminated, the very thing, the very first thing that Luther writes about is joy. That he could find joy rather than being terrified of thunderstorms because he might die. And by the way, he had a friend who was struck by lightning and died. And so it was very real to him. He, he, he had experienced it close uh, with, a, with a friend who had died. And so this fear was replaced by joy. In my study and in my thinking of, of, of our time together and what we could do and, and what we could look at, um, in, in, in thinking through and, and studying these themes of darkness and light in Scripture, I, I thought, what would be a better message than to say that in light of the circumstances of our world, that we could find joy? N not joy that we're happy of the way things are going. That, that's, that's not what I mean, but much more joy in the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that's reflected in the sun. That's what the Apostle Paul was challenging us with. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 again, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. It is going to take light to penetrate the darkness. It will take Christ and his salvific work to change the culture. And we have God's word, and we have the Savior. And so there can be joy even as we pray and as we live as lights in our world to accomplish this. Listen to Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. Actually, you may as well turn there. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Again, the writing of Paul. Again, this imagery of darkness and light. And again, I, I tell you, it's, it's very prevalent through Scripture. And so there's lots of passages that, 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 that give us this reminder on, and, and the, these categories of darkness and light to show us the work of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, picking it up in verse 8. Ephesians 5, 8. For you were once darkness... But now you are the light in the you are light in the Lord. 
live as children in the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Obviously, Ephesians 5 goes on, and there's more imagery of light and darkness. But, but it's, it's, it's interesting that the reminder that the Apostle Paul gives us in this passage, which I think complements what we've been talking about. You were once darkness, that is, we were all lost in our sin. And you can see that darkness is representing, you know, our evil, our sinfulness. But now you are the light, you are light in the Lord. And so then we're called to live as children of light. That is, we are to be a light in the culture in which we live, in the place in which we live, in the neighborhood, in the family, in the church, in the community. We are to be a light. And then it's defined here, the fruit of the light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. You can see that, that our, our culture needs goodness. Our, our culture needs righteousness. Our culture needs truth. It, it, it lives in lies. It, it propagates lies. And find out what pleases the Lord. And, and then the opposite, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. I struggle with that. To, to know how much should I know about what's going on and, and, and what is appropriate and when does it become um, when does it become hard on my soul to, to just know about all the different evil things that are going on? And, and, and Paul reminds us here, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. In other words, not every sin needs to be fully explained and, and, and thought about because even some of it is so wicked, it, it, it's, it's hard on the soul. And, and so I think it's a helpful reminder of where we are. We know things are hurting in our culture. It's interesting. I came across a, a fascinating article, not that easy to find, but of some of the work that is going on by churches and ministries in Minneapolis and in Portland, Oregon, and in San Francisco. Three of the hotbeds of some of the unrest and, and the, the rioting and all the things that have been going on in our culture, and yet God is at work. Now, you won't get these articles on any mainstream media of, of any sort, but, but yet God is at work and, and people's lives are being changed because living in evil, living in chaos is hard even for those who are evil in amongst it. it, it it's, it's the instability and, 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 and all that goes on with that, and yet God is working. And so in these places where, I don't, I don't know, maybe we could say these are some of the darkest places in America right now, it's amazing the work that the light is doing in these dark places. I, I, I'm drawn in the Ephesians 5 passage here we have in front of us to 
to the, the darkness and light, the, the way the Bible always presents things. It's, it's very different from how our culture and our world presents things. We, we, we talk about in our culture, you know, conservative and liberal or, or Republican and Democrat or, or progressive and traditional or some will call it regressive or whatever. The Bible gives us different categories, right and wrong, good and evil, light and darkness. I don't know what comes about with the the next Supreme Court justice, whoever might be be um, uh, uh, nominated and chosen, and when, and all those things. Obviously, we we, we don't know what's what's going to happen. But much of our culture will be talking about, you know, are they more of a liberal justice or a conservative justice? It's interesting that God's terminology for justices are are they just. Or are they unjust? It's we 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 flavored evil with fancy words so that we can talk about it in our culture and and try and make it acceptable. And yet God always comes down to this is what's true. For a judge, a judge needs to judge justly. There aren't terms like conservative and liberal. It's the judge is just, or the judge is unjust. Those are the only possibilities. And, and so we, we get this language because darkness tries to blur evil. Darkness tries to, 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 to rename it and cover it up and, and, and show it as, as something different. And, and yet that's not, the, the Bible gives us the clear truth, if I can say that, uh, uh, with, uh, with the terminology. And that's why we see these comparisons, this idea of darkness and and the idea of light, the idea of of um, day, and 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 the idea of night, and and so we see, and and, and hopefully uh, in in thinking some of these things through, we we saw darkness in the days of Isaiah, and the message goes forth, and and no one responds. Uh, the the darkness in the days of Jesus, and yet Jesus comes and he redeems man through his death and then conquering death and resurrected victory. And and we see darkness in in those days, and we see the light present and the light shining. Uh, We we saw tremendous darkness leading up to the Reformation. 1517 is when Luther will first post his his, his, um, his, uh, 95 theses uh, at, at Wittenberg, and, and sort of the beginning of the Reformation. But before that, there were very, very dark days. And, and yet, once God's word becomes prevalent, literally, the people who walk in darkness see a great light. And, and that phrase literally represents what happened in the Reformation. And the Reformers were giddy with excitement because they had the word of God that pointed them to the Son of God. And they started to write about things like joy and happiness and peace, things that were unknown within what was called Christianity, because Christianity was based on fear. There was no confidence. You could never know if you were saved. And yet, that isn't how the Bible presents it. That isn't what Jesus ultimately has done. And so, even through the darkness of the days before the Reformation, when the light came, when the Word of God came, when the Son of God was was once again uh, uh, revered and worshipped and and sought after for salvation, uh, the culture changes. And it's out of the Reformation that you have things like movements against slavery and even against things like how animals were treated. And, And all of a sudden, the Word of God changed the people of God and light broke into darkness.
And, and so we see these themes, this idea of light and darkness, and honestly, we see it right to the very end. We get to the book of Revelation, we have uh, the story of ultimately Christ's return, and as he makes all things new, and it's fascinating, in the last two chapters of the Bible, we again return to the themes of light. Genesis 1 is full of the themes of light and darkness and day and night, and then Genesis, uh, uh, Revelation 21 and ultimately 22 uh, return to that same theme, but yet presented in a slightly different way. Allow me to read it for you. Revelation 21, 23. The city, this is the new city of Jerusalem, this heavenly city, does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God give uh, for for the glory of God gives it light, and the light lamb is its lamp. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamb is its lamp. That is, we're told that when we get to the New Jerusalem, there is no sun, there is no moon, there is no external light, because it's lit from God's glory, and its lamp is the Lamb of God, Jesus who takes away the sin of the world. That is, when we're talking about the Word of God, which is ultimately the Son of God, that penetrates the darkness to shine the light. There is an answer to what's going on today, and it is the light or the lamp of the Lamb. It is us reflecting the glory of God, which will one day light the new Jerusalem. And again, Revelation 22, verse 5, there will be no more night. Uh, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever and ever. Again, a reminder that we won't need light because the Lord is the light. And so all that to say is light throughout Scripture is literally light as we understand it, but yet it's more than that. It represents the presence of God. It represents truth. It represents holiness, darkness, the opposite of all those. And so the promise ultimately is that light penetrates the darkness. God's Word is what changes culture. God's Word points to God's Son, and in God's Son, we find salvation, healing, righteousness. And so, in, in, uh, in, in looking at this theme, we've, we've, we've touched a little bit in Isaiah, a little bit in John, a few of Paul's writings, and so on. We've seen glimpses of this idea of light and darkness. And I, I hope it brings us some encouragement that, that we do know what can change our culture, that, that we do know that it is the gospel message, not, not, not voting, although there's nothing wrong with voting and, and those things are important. It's, it's not politics or, or the next election, but, but it's that God is in control, that ultimately his son is the light. And as the word goes forth, the son is exalted and the culture changes, and people repent and come to salvation. It's the answer to the darkness of our world is the word of God going forth and spreading the love of Christ. That's how I would summarize these, these key passages and movements across Scripture. The darkness, the answer to the darkness of our world is the word of God going forth to spread the light 
of Christ. A people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Let me pray, and then uh, we'll leave a few time. Dave, uh, you said we can have some questions and so on, if there are any. We'll leave uh, time for that. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that we come to you uh, in the light of your glory, which is reflected in your son, Jesus. We're grateful that we have found salvation in him, that he was a lamb worthy uh, uh, to be slain on our behalf, and that his death took on our sinfulness and paid the price, and his holy life was given to us in righteousness, that we can be righteous before you. And so, Father, we live in the light, even in light of difficult times in the culture in which we live, in the country that we're living in, in what it's all going through. And so we pray to you that your word would go forth and that your light would penetrate the darkness and that you would use even us in our spheres of influence amongst our friends and family, the places where you have situated us, that you would use us to reflect the light of Jesus, that people would be pointed to him, that your truth would be exalted in a, in a culture that's lost righteousness and no longer sees right and wrong. And Father, that lives would be transformed. So many are hurting in light of chaos that's going on. Uh, so many are hurting in light of uh, COVID-19. And so we lift this up to you and pray uh, that your word would penetrate that you would bring healing, and that you would bring salvation through your Son. I pray for each one in the marathon class that you would be with them, that your blessing would be upon them, and that you would use them, use all of us, for your honor and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.